It is time to tune up the band. And he does this, he does that. He's a quick as a cat and he'll hit you with his bat. For it is another episode of the Sweet Chidwag Podcast. I am Sam, joined as ever by Dan and Reardon as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. Hello, hello, chaps. How are you doing today? You know... <laughs> I'm honestly impressed with your performance there. Well played. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I just, good work, great. Good work, great. I love that. I know it's so stupid. The lyrics are so silly as well, but I just love that theme song so much. <laughs> the man called Sting. Sorry, I just, I, I can't help it. I can't help it. The man Stand. called Sting. It's such Stand. an earworm. That's the problem. <laughs> such a big problem. But no, how are you guys doing? It's been a pretty good week. Um, we have celebrated my father's 60th birthday. Woo! So we had a lovely time there. Nice. So uh, we we dedicate this 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 episode to my father, who Hell doesn't know yeah. the first thing about Sting. But hey, <laughs> if, he ever listens, if he ever listens to this podcast, he'll find out. <laughs> You're educational. Yeah, I do like the police. What of it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really <laughs> like. I really like. I really like Dune, man. He uh, just gets me. <laughs> oh God. Oh man, he was great in Quadrophenia. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, that'll probably be the first and many times we'll make uh, sting jokes. Oh, what one billion percent. <laughs> No, without, without question. Oh, God. Like, 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 I mean, I again, when you're a kid, right, you're dumb. Mm-hmm. So, yes. in, so I obviously only knew Sting the wrestler. So when I saw there was a Sting the musician, I was like, I didn't know he did that. So, same. Then found out they're two completely different people. Uh, who, if you have not seen the images, have once met, and it was, so, and, and those pictures look so amazing that when Sting met, it's Sting. only right. It's only right. Oh, <laughs> uh, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know what, guys? He may be the man known as Sting. But we are the men called pending because we are always, always pending and always will be. I like that. I, I appreciate that one as well. Really. That was, that was thank, you, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, as as always, we are also on Patreon. Uh, that is patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag. So, for early access to our episodes, exclusive access to Discord server, and early access to previews of videos, episodes, things that we got going on in our daily lives in wrestling, go and head on over to patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag uh, for as little as £1 a month. As well for the heartbreak quid uh, tier, which Dan, I've got to give you props for naming that. That was amazing. <laughs> heartbreak quid is easily one of our most top tier ideas. <laughs> Good job. I love you, Scotch. You're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that is patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag. So before we get on to part one of our retrospective on the man called Sting, it is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. Dun, 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 dun. Down. 
wrestling news. That is the closest I've ever been to missing my cue. <laughs> <laughs> In 74 episodes. Yeah, I know, right? Hey, look, we, all have off, we all have off days. Right, it happens to the best of us. Mm. Let's get into it. We're starting off with Full Gear. This will be our prediction to buy time if it comes out. Full Gear would have already happened. So you can tell us how wrong we were. <laughs> As always. Uh, obviously, opening up with Nyla Rose and Jamie Hayter versus Hikaru Shida and Funda Rosa on the pre-show. Uh, personally, for me, I've got to give it to Shida and Funda Rosa just because of the kind of direction everything is taking. Yeah, I agree. Still, will be a great match. So happy to see more people... Uh, giving Jamie Hayter the respect that she deserves. Absolute bumping machine. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that Joshi experience is no joke. <laughs> and look, one of the only very few wrestlers that has been actually endorsed by David Hayter. So, you know, you got to give her credit. See, now that's like the... That's the big one. <laughs> Jeb <Jeb's> waiting, huh? <laughs> It still blows my mind <laughs> that that was a thing this year. In this crazy year. <laughs> Uh, Pack and Cody Rhodes versus Malachi Black and Andrade El Idolo. Um, <clears throat> I mean, my overall hope for this match is that obviously Malachi Black and Andrade win, and then Pack joins them, just so we can have the ultimate like spooky bastard trio. Can we call them the spooky bastards as well? <laughs> I think that would work personally. <laughs> Uh, again, as I said, because this was originally supposed to be a fatal four-way before they made it a tag match. Yeah, so it was like, yeah. to me, it was like, oh, I, at that point, I kind of really wanted Pac to win this. But now it's like, oh, I'm not too sure. But I think I'm leaning towards Black and Andrade Yeah, for this one now. Pac has the Cody stank. <laughs> well, that that has, that might be a factor <laughs> to it. I have no doubt in my mind that there will be a fatal four-way down the line with these, there, with there, these four. But if there's a fatal four-way between the, these four, then that match will be amazing. Without question. Yeah. I don't know. I just, lo- I just love the idea of Malachi Black, Andrade, and Pac all together. Mm. And then, of course, if you... Because, like, I know this is, like, me just, like, putting people together based on theming. And obviously they have... Andrade has now has FTR with him, mm. kind of, in a way. Um, But I don't know. Just the idea of Malachi Black, Andrade, the Lucha Brothers, and Pac. <laughs> the Death Pyramid. The Death Triangle just, becomes the just, Death Pyramid. I'll be honest, it just feels kind of illegal in terms of quality. <laughs> yeah. There, there sh- surely there is some law. <laughs> this this is like their way of being like, sorry, Pac's got to be with like Cody and that, and then the Lucha Bros has got to be on the side just because we have to nerf this. It's too good. <clears throat> uh, going on with the Fool's Count Anywhere six-man tag match with Christian Cage and Jurassic Express versus Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. I've got the... I sim- mean, either way, I think this is going to be a good match. Oh, Crumbs, yes, yes. And with the with the uh, development of Bobby Fisher lining himself with Adam Cole, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. we're set we're sowing the seeds of a possible undisputed super click here. Yeah. Uh I've got super click for this one, I think. Yeah, I'm 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 happy to I'm happy to go with that. I probably expect them to win. 
Although I definitely can see Christian Cage taking way too many bumps in this match. Yeah, I, I, I foresee Christian Cage forgetting that he is a 40-plus-year-old man. <laughs> um, I, am, I mean, to be fair, this would be a really big moment to put uh, Jungle Boy up huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they, go, if they go for it. I'm also hoping that Adam, Adam Cole kind of levels out the box a little bit. Yeah, because uh, you know we've we've discussed on many occasions how the Bucks have been a bit. I've been very hit and miss this year. Um, you know, it, it's that it's that thing of doing too much. Uh, and I and I really do hope that at the very least, with Cole's with Cole kind of back into the fray, that they do start to kind of mellow. I think's the word. Yeah. This fellow never bellows. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> uh, going on next, speaking of Sting, we have his goth son versus MJF. <laughs> I, still <can't, laughs> I still can't get over uh, one of the endings for Botchamania that Matthew made with, uh, I think it was Ethan Page and Sting, going, hey, is that your son? He looks like a model. Yeah, I'm on a fucking airplane. <laughs> no, uh, however, Dad, I must ask you: Is the concept of Sing of Sting having a goth son redundant? <laughs> like, it's just his son. <laughs> like, here we see an older goth and his goth son. Yeah. Literally. I mean, you could also say his emo son, but I prefer goth son. Nah. More, nah, no, like, more, nah, goth. Nah, nah. more goth like he, he like he is an emo because he's not upset <laughs> like, yeah that man is not upset he just walks around all the time looking like he's brooding and then everyone else looks at him and goes why are you walking around like that and then he goes i'm not walking around i have a skateboard yes <laughs> um <clears throat> oh gosh i i don't know actually for this one yeah i'm i'm not really sure i mean the thing is mjf has kind of had the short end of the stick with a lot of recently with a lot of big matches recently or pay-per-view matches recently yeah mm. but so has darby <clears throat> i mean to an extent yeah to, to an extent i mean to an extent yes through the toll he puts his body through out of choice um <laughs> but you know M mjf i think is kind of like Owen free for recent pay-per-views. Mm. So, I mean, he's, I think he's Owen free over his last three pay-per-views. I think you, yeah, you are right there. So I, t mm. I, MJF possibly I'd go for in this one. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'm edging. And then Sting MJF. appears from the ceiling with a bat. <laughs> <laughs> You think he just has snacks up there now? Oh, I assume, I assume he has like a mini fridge and everything. Oh, he's got a he's got a spare pack of Cheetos up there for sure. That's why he wears See, gloves. Do you reckon I, he adds? Do you reckon he adds padding to the seats up there? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Like I imagine, he'd like, but imagine, like, I imagine he tries to like he tends to it like a garden. Like he's got a yeah. bonsai tree up there, trying to get rid of the pigeons. Mm, yeah, I, I, I buy that. <clears throat> Uh, we have the Minneapolis Street Fight, the Inner Circle versus Men of the Year and American Top Team. American Top Team being represented by, I believe, 
Andre Arlovsky, Junior Dos Santos, and Dan Lambert. Now, here is my question. What entails a Minneapolis street fight? It's like, uh, okay. is, it's is cold. it just, do you play <laughs> Prince while doing it? Is that, is that uh, the, the, the answer is it's a street fight that takes place in Minneapolis. <laughs> so that's, that's it. It's a cold street fight. Basically, yes. Okay. I know nothing else about Minneapolis. I mean, is legitimately our American listeners, what is in Minneapolis apart the only, from Prince? The, the only thing I know Lesnar. about... Uh, yeah. Um, literally the only thing I've ever really been told about the entire state of Minnesota is it's cold. And vaguely Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> I, like all I get told is it's cold. That's I, it. I mean, uh, you you say that, Reardon, but that is true. I mean, Minneapolis was the location for the Mighty Ducks uh, film, so there it's you true. go. <laughs> See? <laughs> so uh, I feel like we're padding for the inevitability uh, and the predictable inner circle being put over in this match. Yes. <laughs> Chris Jericho is 100% doing the move to get the win. What the, what, oh, 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 absolutely. Like, I I, 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 I am 9,000 dimensions above everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen the, I have seen the future. Uh, CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston. My God, am I excited for this match? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Uh, oh, My no. guy said, let me run back like 2004 and I could not be happier for it. Oh, yeah, abso, abso, freaking lootly, and oh, this is the the first the first sort of kind of high profile match of Punk that uh, I think a lot of people are very much interested in. I'd say uh, since he debuted, of course. Um, I want Eddie to win this one. Well, I was gonna say, I was like, if AEW were based, they would let Eddie get the win. I'd say give him. I, I, I mean. I honestly think I honestly think they will be based and give Eddie the win. Like, I actually I do like seriously let Eddie let Eddie win. get the first win over CM Punk. I'd that see, takes yeah. Punk to that takes Punk to seven and one. Yeah. Yeah, I I I, 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 argue, I argue I think that's I think Eddie Kingston's the one to beat him. I do actually think that quite quite mm-hmm. quite I mean, a much. Go for it. I mean, you don't have to prolong this anymore. If you really want to make this a trilogy, you could do Full Gear, Winter is Coming, Battle of the Belts. It kind yeah. of almost writes itself if you want to do a trilogy of matches for this. No, nah, that's fair. But if you don't want to, give I still say give Eddie the win. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Tony Elite. Do, do, the, do the right thing. <laughs> Be a man, Tony. <laughs> Do the uh, job, punk. Yeah. Do the job. <laughs> that won't work for me, brother. <laughs> uh, AEW World Tag Team Championship match. The Lucha Brothers defending against FTR, who are the current AAA Tag Team Champions. That still makes me kind of chuckle that that's the case. It's just... <laughs> oh, tri- oh, AAA. Um, um, I'm really looking forward to this match. Yeah, really looking forward to this match. Two incredibly talented tag teams uh, going at it. I've got the Lucha Brothers down for this one because I actually do want to see these two face off against one another at Triple Mania. Yeah, <laughs> for the uh, the Triple A Tag Championship. So I say that, that was my, that was my pathway. 
let them have a, let them both have a moment of triple mania. Yeah. Mm. Even if it will only be able to be watched by like people inside Mexico, and then like by that one guy who put up a Twitch stream of it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's always triple A. Sort out your damn rights. <laughs> Especially with your Marvel rights. Come on, man. We need more of that. <laughs> no, just sort out your rights so people can actually watch your product. Mm. Come on, Conan. Legal. I should say legally <laughs> yeah come on conan do the right thing <laughs> like triple a they're like man people really aren't as interested in our product i'm like because you can't watch it if you're not in mexico <laughs> <laughs> there is an audience Sometimes. like the only like because of the whole situation with their rights where their tv rights in the u.s are being like strong-armed by some random distribution company mm. So you just can't watch it legally. So you just have to pirate it. <laughs> and yeah. of course, they get no money. <laughs> <laughs> AEW Women's World Championship match. Britt Baker, DMD, defending against Ty Conti. I have loved the run that Ty Conti has had this year and how she's yeah. gone from strength to strength, uh, which just makes you go... What the? F how the in the world did WWE miss that? It's what I've, it's what I said previously though. I I just don't think she fits WWE's model. Yeah. No, I get you on that one. Um, that being said though, I'm glad that she's getting this title opportunity. I really hope this means that she gets put into the main event picture in the women's division mm. more. Yeah. But I think Brit's retaining this one. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, hmm. I'm, I think Brit's probably retaining here. Hopefully, this is the point for them to keep Ty as a you know, solid main event for the women's division. Hmm. Um. Again, you know, for me, it's kind of got to be like Thunder Rosa. Or someone's or someone like that for AEW to take that women's belt off Brit. Yeah, they gotta. Get, I think you know, even if even if it's like a even if it's like a holdover, mm. you know, bring women up in, into the picture, solidify, go from there. Because obviously, like they they put so much stock into Brit getting the title, then obviously that got delayed because she broke her leg. Yeah. That they kind of had to keep things running along, and you know, Shida had a really, really good run. Obviously, Riho before her, mm -hmm. Nyla as well. Um, but they just haven't really been able to bring anyone in to make you know to really make that solid again. I would have said maybe at some maybe at a point Ruby Soho. Mm. Yeah, I think Ruby Ruby Soho or Thunder Rosa are like your main two that you pretty much got to have there yeah and then you know you can bring up like uh ty conti hopefully jade cargill goes on that like lex luger run with the tbs oh absolutely like i just wanted to go like straight year <laughs> <laughs> like straight year no match longer than like 10 minutes <laughs> and your t-shirts are too tight too tony yeah, like just straight up, just like absolutely just burn through people constantly. <laughs> now I'm picturing Jade Cargill doing that promo. Can you afford me to pay the wrestle rod? I don't know. 
Um, moving on, uh, our AEW World Championship Eliminator Tournament final: Brian Danielson versus Miro. There's only one thing I know after this, which is that neither man's going to have much structural support in their neck left. <laughs> Oh, no, you're right. I was talking to Riordan before we were recording, actually. Mm. And I said to him, I really, as much as I love Brian, and Brian's one of my absolute favourites, I really want Miro to win this. It's, I yeah, I listen, Daniel Bryan is going to be fine. Mm. Give that, Miro that's, that's the, the win. That's the thing. Like, Danielson will do fine, right? Yes. With whatever's whatever's going on, whatever's happening. I can't lie though, Miro's been on such a run recently. Miro Great has... yo, know, good matches. Great promo. <laughs> yes. Look All at my... of his promos have been like basically solid gold. I mean he looks like a jacked uh Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now in that one promo he did. <laughs> um Dude, it went, the the line the line he dropped where it was like, "So you need to say goodbye to your wife, so I can say so I can say hello to mine." That goes hard. I don't even care. Mm. Oh, it's... that's just like that. That just goes so hard. <laughs> Look, as I said on Twitter, with Joseph uh, coming up to his 2021 retrospective and undoubtedly giving Brian the number one spot. Me and yeah, IQ. But he's not wrong though. Me and IQ <laughs> have. T- uh, me and IQ have said we will edit it in such a way that Miro is considered the greatest professional wrestler of all time. <laughs> he's been on. He is genuinely probably. He has genuinely been one of the most entertaining wrestlers this year. Yeah. Is Miro? Like, like to be fair, right? We need to be here and do the whole thing of right. Daniel Bryan missed what four months of this year? Yes, <laughs> right. He's still easily getting getting rest for the year. <laughs> yes, in 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 this time, right? But my God, Miro has been so so good. Yeah, it's so right. so good. Like, I think it's like um, you know what I think it is? I think it's uh, we expect quality from Danielson mm, yeah. at this point. We expect it. Not that we don't with Miro, but we expect it, especially with Danielson. I don't think anyone quite acknowledged, quite realized just what Miro was holding back this entire time. And Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's, it's fantastic. Just... I don't know. There's something so visceral about this man both being like egregiously horny and then also cutting promos about how he wants to kill god i think those two i think those two sentiments kind of bleed into each other quite frankly in a weird way in mirror promos they do they are intrinsically linked yes <laughs> according to mirror they are intrinsically linked it is a fucking whatever. brilliant combination and then of course obviously our aw world championship match Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page. Come on, Hangman. Come on, Hangman. I need it. I know I need a lot it. of people have said that maybe this isn't the time, but I can't think no. of any other time that it would yeah, be. What, if, dog, yeah, it's been two years. Yeah, yeah. If not this time, when? Yeah. Seriously, when? I, I reckon it's time. It, yeah. it comes full circle considering the tag team disillusion from last year's one uh, full gear. 
And as we've said on many occasions this past couple of weeks, the most logical booking is always the good one. Yeah. So yeah. I'd like, say give res- it to res- him. Again, respectfully, right? It's been two years at this point. Really, I think we've gotten all the drama done. <laughs> yeah. And like, I just this horrible insistence of people like, oh, if Kenny wins, it will get him more heat. I'm like, we don't need heat. I don't we're reaching the climax. We're reaching. The- we're reaching the climax of this story. the The next, the dynamite after is in Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's hope. Like, it makes it makes perfect sense to do so. So I'd say go for it. And honestly, like, he's the most over person in that company right now. So if 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 him coming out, even when everyone knew he was going to at the casino. Battle Royale or the the ladder match, right? Mm. Was in everyone knew, and that was still enough to get people to boo Moxley. Mm. Mm. Like, let's not let's not overstate this. If there ever was a time, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think he's more. I think he's more than earned it. And yeah. It still blows my mind that we're the same age, and the the oodles of talent that are come that that radiates from that guy. Like, as I said, I've never experienced watching someone live and just being absolutely astounded by how talented they are. Quite like Handman Page, <laughs> like the man did a like an apron shooting star press to the to the floor, like flawlessly, <laughs> and still managed to do the rest of the match with a buckshot lariat. And it's just. Yeah, the dude, the yeah, the the dude. I I mm-hmm. want I want Paige to win it. <laughs> I really want Paige to win. <laughs> and when I say Paige, I mean Diamond Dallas Page. No, <laughs> I was I was very confused. DDP, DDP, Bang! Ah, the ultimate swerve. <laughs> To this day, he's still stalking the Undertaker. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. <laughs> hey, we don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that's full gear. We wait to see how wrong we are come Monday. <laughs> yes. Um, obviously, just to quickly go over um, for Survivor Series as well, which is coming up. Currently, I think there are only four matches confirmed. This start to sound an awful. I'm not entirely sure. This is, yeah, it's, it's beginning to sound. I know there's obviously the men's and the women's Survivor Series match, and then there's Big E versus Roman and Becky versus Charlotte. Man, this, this is just, you know when they when they uh, when they rushed the billing of of, of a pay per view. Uh, December to dismember awfully springs to mind when there's something like that happens. So obviously. We have Team Raw, which is made up of Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Rey Mysterio, and Bobby Lashley. I think it's a good 80% of those were SmackDown a few weeks ago. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, versus Team SmackDown, which includes Drew McIntyre. Fuck's sake. Uh, Jeff Hardy. Uh, 
King Woods, Sami Zayn, and Happy Corbin with uh, Madcap Moss, who's uh, Riddick Moss. Oh, may I add as well that Sami Zayn is no longer part of the team. But, yes, so Sami Zayn is no longer part of the team uh, because, and also there is no replacement announced yet, I believe. But it's been heavily implied that it's going to be, and I cannot believe I'm going to say this, Von Wagner. Excuse me, what? You, what so Von Wagner... Was, was actually called up to SmackDown this week, uh, serving as the bodyguard for Adam Pearce. Oh, my God. <laughs> talk about talk about just, like, things I think that, that don't might make be sense. The, I think that might be the fastest NXT to main roster pipeline ever. <laughs> <laughs> this side of Brock Lesnar? I mean, yes. I mean, yes, because he, he's the son of one of the Beverly brothers? I believe so. Or related in some way to one of them. Mm. Or both, I don't know. I believe um, he's also... I want to say he might actually be Matt Bloom's son. But, like... Damn, that's a that's a quick progression. <laughs> You're telling me. Um, oh, we have the women's Survivor Series match made for Team Raw. It's Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Carmella and Queen Zelina. Versus Team SmackDown, asterisk, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sasha Banks, Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, Natalia, and it would have had Al- Aaliyah in it, but she's been kicked off the team and not been replaced. <laughs> Which I know happened in the most recent SmackDown. Yes. So, whoever's replacing her, cool. Maybe it's Sonya Deville herself, because no reason was given. Uh, they they implied Naomi, but then again, there's that storyline involving Sonya and Naomi, so it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if Sonya inserted herself into that. Um, uh, obviously, we have Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair, which is going to be a match. <laughs> and I think it's absolutely criminal that why, uh, why Creative thought it'd be a good idea for Charlotte to bury Tony Storm in this week's SmackDown, saying that she's not worth being women's champion anywhere. I don't understand that because Tony Storm is I mean, freaking incredible. Yeah, it's not like she was like, oh, no, I'm all, you might champion over in stardom or anything. <laughs> NXT UK women's champion. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be a match. I mean, because I know Becky had recently had an interview with Sports Illustrated, I believe, talking about yeah. how... <laughs> I don't know if it was kayfabe or if there was a if there was a slight kind of bit of reality there saying that Charlotte's not the same person I knew and went up in developmental with. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this match goes down. I hope professionalism will take over in this match, but as we know in the pre in in wrestling, sometimes that doesn't. That yeah, that doesn't happen. Uh, Sean and Brett come to mind, but that's all. Yeah, thing. I was gonna oh, say. No. And this God. is Survivor Series, so we could hear ring the back damn oh, bell a second God. time. I, I, if if I, I would almost, I would almost admire the balls if they have Stephanie McMahon come down shouting ring the bell. <laughs> I will almost admire the balls. <laughs> uh, it's going to be one singular large yike. Yeah. It's not like they've tried to recreate that many a time. Oh, wait, they have so many times. Uh, and then, obviously, Big E versus Roman Reigns. 
uh, I assume it all is going to go into making Roman look strong. <laughs> With Brock Lesnar, may I add, being front row in this because he has purchased a ticket for Survivor Series. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, I really want Big E to win this one, but it's not going to happen. I mean, that's the it? thing. I, I want Big E to win. <laughs> I don't see it happening, though. <laughs> And that's the thing, Un- unless, unless, unless there's some Brock Lesnar-related shenanigans. Which could happen, maybe? I Possibly? imagine it probably will. Like, Brock just jumps the barrier or something and then just F5s him and Big E picks up the pin. Possibly. Possibly. Uh, there, will be other, there will be other matches announced, but if they have been, uh, I cannot find them. Or I cannot remember them. <laughs> No, so far, those are the four that have been actually announced. So, goodness knows what in the world is going to happen come, uh, come Sunday, the twi- oh, Sunday the 21st of November. <laughs> uh, but with that, though, we are done with the news. Excelente. Uh, Reardon, recommendation of the week. What have you got for us? I've got two things, actually. Ooh, very nice. First off, in more recent... <laughs> Eternals is a very interesting movie. <laughs> it's a very interesting one. So I've it's heard. Had, it's had a lot, like, I'm almost more, like, I was almost more excited leading up to it when I've heard how divisive this one has been. I was going to say, the only, the main review I've heard about it is mixed. Yes, it is, <clears throat> uh, like, so I've many had, I've had people on either side of me tell me it's like the worst thing they've seen or like <laughs> it's like an 8 out of 10 <laughs> yeah and I, I lean to the 8 out of 10 but I understand why, why there are others who would probably despise it it's a fascinating one and to be honest that's why I kind of recommend it because I, I need more more thoughts around this one <laughs> All I've, but, well, go ahead, no, go ahead. all I've heard about this so far is that uh, Kumail Nanjani is absolutely jacked and looks like a professional yes. wrestler. Oh, he's jacked as hell. And he is incredible in this movie. <laughs> he's incredible. With uh, great... See, he brings together a, one of the... A really good side character who I will not spoil, mm. but he's great. But, no. So, that's going on. In a less divisive... As it turns out, Jumanji, the next level, is actually pretty damn good. <laughs> and has no right to being pretty damn good. <laughs> like, it's a solid-ass movie. So if you want to watch, like, a solid 90-minute movie with Dwayne Johnson, watch Jumanji, the next level. Like, it's actually good. I didn't. I thought it wouldn't be good. It's actually good. <laughs> he's always good. He's always good. And very consistent with his uh, with his family friendly comedies. I've found mm-hmm. uh, Dwayne. It's his wheelhouse. Um, like I mean, come on. Like Moana is probably like one of the best Disney films of the past ten years. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah, has a yeah, musical yeah. number. Dwayne and Johnson it's... has a musical as a Disney musical I'm... number. Hey, you know what? I'll, I'll recommend that as well. If you haven't seen Moana, see Moana. Oh, it's go and see Moana. It's been great. It's great. Actually, there's one recommendation I want to make before we go on. So I recently, Enjoy Wrestling, recently put out all of the matches from their Night Moves event back in October. Oh, hell yeah. And I oh, hell yeah. recommend... Just say it. Just say it, please. Lee Moriarty versus Darius Lockhart is one of the greatest matches I've watched this year. Mm. 
So good. It's so good. Um, and by the way, like one of the greatest pieces of merch I've ever seen, Panther style versus Tiger style, which is just like, mwah. <laughs> so get on that. It is free on Enjoy Wrestling's YouTube channel. Darius Lock- uh, Lee Moriarty versus Darius Lockhart is a match and a half. Cannot recommend that enough. But with that, it is time to get on to our main portion of the episode. The icon called Sting. Part one, the 1980s to 2000. And one. Gents, are you as excited about this as I am? Oh, yeah. Yes. Let's do this. So Sting needs no introduction. Uh, accomplished singer and lead man for the police. Oh, no, great. One Sting. Um, right, I need to bring up the right article. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Message in a Bottle. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Great. Great. Uh, as I said, I'm I'm just a huge fan of the movie Dune. Like, <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> Who is it? Who the heck is it? Okay, so chaps, as I said, needs no introduction uh, of Sting. So let us get straight into it. And let's go, as we always do with these retrospectives, as I like to say, to the beginning, right at the early life. So born in March 1959 in Omaha, Nebraska, Steve Borden was a naturally gifted person in sports and athletics. So when he relocated with his family to Southern California, that was when he started to take up sports in his high school days. Uh, As a matter of fact, he played for his high school's football and basketball teams at the same time. Apparently he was quite an accomplished basketball player. How tall is Sting? (laughs) He is six foot two. So not the tallest okay, yeah. of people in basketball, but kind of no, around the average. Could, yeah, he could height. be. He could be a god. Yeah, I mean, he he's he he's Alan Iverson height, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, there there we go. I finally got an Alan Iverson quote into the sweet chinwag there. God. <laughs> Do you remember when he was popular back in the day? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was after graduating, though, from his high school days that he took up bodybuilding and garnered quite the following from his bodybuilding uh, uh, career. Now, I showed Reardon a picture, and I believe you can see it as well, Dan, of Sting back in his days of bodybuilding. And, uh, well, well, one, he is absolutely jacked. And two, yes. it's something that Reardon brought up to me, because of the bone structure and jawline on his face, that picture makes him look a hell of a lot like Kevin Bacon. Do you know what I was going to really weirdly say? What? <laughs> For some reason, I don't know what it is, he does look a lot like Kevin Bacon, but also something about his face is giving me, like, Jim Carrey mask. <laughs> oh my god. You're not oh my god, you're not. I don't wrong. know what it is. You know what it is? It's the hair. It is such yeah. it is so the hair. It's as that, as, is, that, that is pure nineties Jim Carrey hair. As you said, it's so weird seeing Sting with normal hair. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre as hell. <laughs> So, actually, during his time in bodybuilding, he actually co-owned a Gold's Gym Health Club as well. Giving, like, garnering how successful he was getting, he ended up having his own franchise with Gold's Gym. (laughs) So, he garnered quite so much of a following from this that he started gaining the attention of wrestling promoters in the California Territory. Of course you would. It was at that time where, you know, we'd gone from, you know, 
Bruno San Martino, Bob Backlund, and then when superstar Billy Graham came into the picture, being a former bodybuilder, that was like the gold standard of how a wrestler should look. And then we got Hulk Hogan and... The rest is history with that sort of thing. So, Sting at this time of his life has gone on record to say that he had little to no interest in pro wrestling. Being that he had no access to watching it as a child, since his parents moved here, there and everywhere, and actually didn't own a television set for a very long time. But all of that changed when he was convinced with by friends to attend a WWF live show in Los Angeles, and was taken aback and away by the incredible action he saw from the likes of uh, the Iron Sheik, the British Bulldogs, Andre the Giant, and Hulk Hogan. So this is what made him pursue a career in professional wrestling in 1985. So, which brings us to his beginnings in professional wrestling with the CWA and the UWF. After training under the tutelage of one Red Bastion, Sting would wrestle in the Californian Indies as a member of Power Team USA <laughs> before being picked up by the Continental Wrestling Association in late 85 and wrestling under the ring name Flash, teaming alongside Justice as the Freedom Fighters. Now, Justice was another <laughs> bodybuilder turned wrestler called Jim Helwig, who we all know as the Ultimate Warrior. Ah! <laughs> I I heard that name and went, that rings a bell. <laughs> and not a good one. So two big beefy guys in a tag team wrestling. Uh, you okay. would have thought they would have gotten over uh, with kind of being as that was sort of the what, way the people American freedom fighters at a time when the Iron Sheik was still big. <laughs> but believe it or not, they weren't overly... Uh, CWA fans weren't overly impressed by the duo's physique, and uh, as was described one time, lumbering moveset. Yeah, that's always the Cal- Cal- California were, were more work-rate fans. <laughs> so they were quickly turned... PWG in. 1985. Yes, yes there we go. <laughs> there, that's the ticket. So they were quickly turned hill uh, from that, and were paired, believe it or not, with Dutch Mantel as their manager. <laughs> Old Zeb Coulter. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, yeah. Weird one. Weird, weird That's... team up. Uh, but you, uh, it's uh, from what I gathered and notes that I could find from their time in CWA, not much was actually... Not much of note was actually made in CWA from the Freedom Fighters. The only thing that I could pick up uh, that was newsworthy was that they ended up uh, in a segment where they broke the leg of veteran Tennessee wrestler Phil Hickerson. Uh, the only match I could find worthy of note from them was that they had one match against uh, Memphis Vice, the team of Jerry Bryan and Lou Winston. Again, if you weren't in the Tennessee... I guess the Tennessee yeah. sort of scene, all of this kind of goes over everyone's head. <laughs> uh, so it was quickly after that, basically in 1986, that Bill Watts would snap up Flash and Justice to his Universal Wrestling Federation promotion, rechristening them as the Blade Runners. <laughs> okay. Alright, cool. And they, cool. And they uh, were repackaged under new names. Justice was now known as Rock, 
and Flash became Sting. Rock and Sting. That's... Yes. I feel like one of those names is doing more lifting than the other. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so the Blade Runners became quite the force in UWF's tag division, aligning themselves with the stable known as Hot Stuff and Hyatt International, the, te- uh, the stable led by Eddie Gilbert and Missy Hyatt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stay with me. They would become Go the muscle. On. They would become the muscle for Eddie Gilbert. Okay, and that would, makes sense. And kind of help him out, you know, interfere in matches on Eddie Gilbert's behalf. But soon after joining the UWF, Jim Helwig would leave to forge his own career in World Class Championship Wrestling. He thought that he was above tag team wrestling, uh, thought Mm. that he was well-seasoned enough to go off and forge his own career, and thus became the Dingo Warrior. Of course, if you've watched the Dark Side of the Ring episode of The Ultimate Warrior, you'll know that people thought that he was full of shit, that he was not not talented enough to forge his own career. So this left Sting without a tag uh, partner. But regardless of that, Sting would form a tag team with Eddie Gilbert and capture the UWF Tag Team Championships twice. And he even captured it a third time with another partner, Rick Steiner. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The mad dog, the dog-faced gremlin, and the Stinger, a tag team of the UWF. (laughs) The concept of Rick Steiner and the UWF is just scary. <laughs> really is. I was talking to Reardon as well before this, talking about how uh, how it's weird how Charvo Senior and Sting at this time had a number of matches together. <laughs> so it's just like it feels wrong. It does. It really does. But for all intents and purposes, a lot of people who watch those matches said they weren't bad matches. So you know. Yeah, that I mean, as I said, that's that's the Guerreros for you. They will always be able to put yes. on great matches with anyone. So, after a tag team match which saw Eddie Gilbert turn on Sting and side with a then heel Terry Taylor, Sting became a babyface and rapidly became a popular figure with fans and wrestlers alike. Gilbert has actually gone on record for saying that Sting at this time was the next future star and it was only a matter of time before he would become the top guy in professional wrestling yeah yep. so sting was touted to win the uwf television championship in a blow-off match against eddie gilbert but that uh, all came to a halt when the company was bought out by jim crockett promotions in april 1987 which now brings us to the big old meat and, meat and potatoes of this segment. Jim Crockett Promotions and World Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. So after Crockett and head booker Dusty Rhodes started to bring more UWF alumni into the fold in 1987, it became quickly apparent that they had something really special with Sting. Uh, like a star that only comes around once in a blue moon. It was apparent, like just from his promos, his look, his moveset, that he was becoming really popular with fans uh, and especially with kids. I mean, how many stories have we heard in like uh, uh, those like DVD specials or Hall of Fame packages for Sting about how many wrestlers that were wrestling in WWE loved Sting as a kid? 
Jesus. Like John Cena, I, I was going on record as quoting, "There's the Sting's the reason why I uh, started bodybuilding and had a blonde haired flat top." <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, go on, Red. Sorry. God, so many. Just so many people. Like, I'm willing to bet that, like, a good 85 to 90% of today's wrestlers were directly inspired by Sting. Uh, not m- Most, I mean, for the people before that, so you say, like, your, 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 your Cena's, your Orton's, I could definitely tell probably were inspired by Surface Sting. Most wrestlers today were probably inspired by the later incarnation of Sting, which we'll get into. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. So, because of all of this... And knowing and uh, knowing that they had something really special with Sting, Rhodes and Crockett decide to showcase Sting first in the opening bout of Starcade 1987 in a six-man tag match, which saw him team up with Michael P.S. Hayes and Jimmy Garvin. <laughs> okay. To take All on right. Eddie Gilbert, Rick Steiner, and Larry Zbysko. Uh Apparently, for more intents and purposes, and from the audience there, Sting was the one that stood out and got the biggest fan reaction from that uh, from that match. <clears throat> so, that's December 1987. And still impressing time and again in every match that he's in uh, for WCW, March 1988, Crockett and Rhodes booked the main event of the very first Clash of Champions to be Sting versus Rick Flair for the W uh, for sorry, for the NWA World's Heavyweight yeah. Championship, kicking off one of the greatest rivalries in WCW's history. Hell yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think that by that point, it's what, two, two years into his time mm. in, WC, in WCW, he was already, well, Jim Crockett Promotions, he was already up there to that point. I yeah. mean, it, 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 it tracks because the, the guy's really, really good at what he does. And this is two or so years into his career. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it took it to a fish to water, basically, I'd say, Sting at this time. So, that match, uh, the Clash of Champions match, saw Sting take Flair to a 45-minute time limit draw. Uh, of course, this means that, you know, Flair gets to keep the title, but it also doesn't mean that Sting is seen... Like, looks weak. Looks weak. Yep, yep. It solidifies his status as a main event player that could hang with the best, basically. Yeah. It just kind of shows that, boom, Sting's a main eventer. We're going to go with him. So, at this time, it's a very interesting time in 1988. So, Jim Crockett Promotions uh, was actually rechristened fully to World Championship Wrestling at this time uh, after Ted Turner bought out Crockett's share in the company because uh, there were a bit of money trouble, troubles and issues with Jim Crockett. And so yeah. the only thing they could do was sell their share to Ted Turner. But Sting's momentum did continue in this time. Having t- having another time limit draw with Flair at, uh, at an event on New Year's Day 1989, and even capturing the NWA television title from Mike Rotunda in March of the same year. This would be Sting's very first singles championship. Now, this is where it gets this is where it gets a little bit kind of more interesting. The caliber of yeah. opponents he was facing. So at the Great American Bash in July. Sting would face off against the Great Muta. Oh, wow. Wow. 
Old Keiji Muto, the man who's still yeah. going today. Uh, this match saw the classic dusty finish of neither man winning yeah. and the title getting vacated. Oh. <laughs> Good old dusty finish. Thank you, Dusty. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Oh, goodness. Here's the fun fact of this. Dusty Rhodes wasn't even the head booker at this time. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's it's the thing. Is that you're there and he gets blamed for it. He wasn't even there. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Like in my head, it's one of those things. They go, well, neither person wins, so it gets vacated. It, it makes sense, but it's awful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like like in terms of actual like logic of how a thing would work, it makes sense, but it's just trash. <laughs> absolutely absolutely but god dang it you can't help but love dusty for it for some bizarre no, reason <laughs> so in the main event of this uh of the of this uh bash flair defended his nwa title against terry funk wow <laughs> so okay after, this is a baby face flair may i add as well yeah so after flair won this match he was attacked by funk's stable mate of the j tex sorry <clears throat> the j tex corporation which was the Great Muta. So Muta and Funk were once in a stable together. Okay, I mean, I can I can understand the existence of that, which is obviously that, like, well, the existence of it is going, probably someone at WCW being like, hey, Terry, you spent time in Japan, didn't you? <laughs> Meet your new tag team partner and stable mate. <laughs> <laughs> and then the great mood just walks in and yes. is just like looking around and then just sprays mist in the air or something yes. I don't know <laughs> as he always if he, does if he just did it he just did it as a party trick like, oh absolutely just out, oh, one billion like, percent yeah just to get out of a conversation like it's awkward he's like uh, I just, just missed and I just get away. this I just get this feeling in my head that uh, surely at some point Keiji Muto has been in a bar and he's been like having a drink and then just like someone's like hey Keiji hey do the thing and so he yeah. just does it and just sprays like beer in their face or I was, something. I was going to say, Rian, and you were talking about the same man who once in storyline was reborn from a dinosaur egg and, re- and, <laughs> and came out with a brand new dinosaur-themed mask Wrestling. to face the former Yokozuna, <laughs> Akibono. Oh, Wrestling. <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> I don't know. This was, I mean, my favorite. I mean, we're on like a random side tangent about Musa, but I just love the entire thing of creating law for the mist. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I, I tell you, man, we've got to do an episode of Keiji Muto because that oh, man's career is just so balls to the wall crazy. <laughs> so. Of course, with Muta coming out, this prompted Sting to come out to the aid of Flair. And they actually formed a small kind of, like, bond of respect from that. So after fighting Muta and Funk for most of the summer and fall of 1989, this is where it gets crazy, right? Sting became a new member for the reformed and now babyface Four Horsemen. Here it is. See, now this is one of those sentences where I'm like, yes, I know this was a thing. It did happen. Um, and there's plenty of record and images of it. And I hear it and I go, well, that sounds fake. <laughs> it sounds fake, especially when you consider the, the members of the Horsemen at this time. So, yeah. Flair, Arn Anderson, 
Ole Anderson, and Sting. <laughs> wow. Now, now, let's not forget here that this alliance didn't last very long, as, of course, Flair showed his true colours and attacked Sting soon after, which reignited their feud. Uh, yeah, this uh, kind of gave this kind of gave rise to the recurring thing of like Sting trusting st- people. <laughs> yeah, Sting trusting Flair, and everyone being like, oh, "You probably shouldn't trust him." He's like, "No, I believe in the goodness of his heart," and then immediately just getting like punched. <laughs> Thus started that uh, that very cliche. I guess it's a meme nowadays in wrestling. I'd say. Yeah, Sting trusting people way too much. Way oh, too much. God. Uh, it was actually unfortunately during this beatdown that Sting legit suffered a knee injury and had to recover for a period of 1990. Uh, this leads us, of course, to one of our main chapters, quite the bulk of the chapter, Sting versus Ric Flair. Now, this chapter of their feud saw Sting out with injury picking Lex Luger to challenge Flair at Wrestle War 1990. Of course, Lex Luger. Of course, big beefy guy. It makes sense, yeah. doesn't it? Uh, so the original finish to this actually saw Luger win, but Flair insisted on going over, noting to the backstage to, to Ole Anderson, uh, the head booker at the time, that he actually promised to give Stin the wing uh, when he was fully recovered from his injury. Actually, even before uh, he suffered the injury, he said, "I want to put you over." And I want you to become world champion. Um, So he held steadfast that, you know, no, I'm the champion. I'm going to say this right now. He deserves to win it because he's the most over. Fair play to you, Flair. Using some of your strength to actually put someone over. I mean, like, yeah, fair fair play. He could have, like, dropped it and won it back. but True. True, but like, again, this is Ric Flair in 1990. We're talking about. Yeah, I know he had basically all of. I, I, I do, I do get it. I don't want to make it seem mm. like Flair's the asshole here for not wanting to put Luger over, but like, um, like in in pure mechanical terms, he could have just dropped into Luger and then just got it back like two months later. Because he, he was so famous over. for doing that, so it would have made sense. Um, it was at this time as well that we saw the infamous RoboCop segment at Capital Combat. I don't know why the Let's RoboCop go. segment keeps Let's popping up. Go. That segment, we could probably do an entire episode just on the lead up to that segment. Oh, man. So. Classic pay per view review Capital Combat. Oh, God. So, of course, this started when Sting was attacked by the horseman during the event and thrown into a shark cage, only to be rescued by his buddy, RoboCop. I, I just love wrestling's weird obsession with shark cages. <laughs> yes. I don't know why they're such a recurring fixture of wrestling, but they are. <laughs> oh, of course, God. this is 199. This is Jim Hurd's WCW. We're right in the thick of Jim Hurd's oh WCW. Oh, So that's the reason why. Of course, as we've got on record, this was to promote Robocop 2. They just... wanted to have that mainstream appeal of crossover and stuff, but this is the weirdest way to do it, if you ask oh, me. Oh, no, but, like, it's just the thing how do... Can you imagine being in that meeting? Mm. All right, we need to think about ways that we can promote this film and, like, get ourselves into popularities again. 
Well, I mean, and the person being like, well, we are Robocop after the rule, which is, uh, you know, the first robot wildly successful piece of media. Mm-hmm. So, like, okay, we've got to promote the second one. Okay, we can, like, do this and sort out the post and everything. And someone just goes, what if we put Robocop in a wrestling ring? <laughs> and then everyone's around him being like, okay, well, maybe not that, but we can have him in, like, a wrestling company. So, and then they're like, I'll get on the phone to WCW. <laughs> and everyone else around that table going, that's a good idea. I, I, I see nothing wrong with this. <laughs> I just still feel like, find it funny in storyline that Robocop and Sting are buddies. <laughs> like they go out for drinks every so often. You yeah. Know, in, Det- in Detroit, whenever, whenever WCW's in town. <laughs> Sting travels forward in time to go and have drinks with Robocop. <laughs> what I love about this segment, I don't think I brought this up. I may have, so apologies if I already brought this up. But during that segment, because the outfit and the whole costume and the way it was structured was so bulky, and because, of course, because of that, he couldn't actually enter the ring, that yeah. didn't stop the the robocop costume actually coming apart during this segment so if you notice oh, during this, oh, when he when he when he bends the prison the shark cage bars to let sting out one part of of the leg of the part of like the uh, the costume in his leg pops and pings off and so you can see as robocop's walking dead towards the ring you just see this one loose part of his costume going fling 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 <laughs> I just like. I just want to talk to the person who was there and was like, "This is just like a fantastic idea." Jim Hurd, remember, the, former the, president of Pizza Hut. <clears throat> just because, I mean, disregarding all the obvious problems that this has. <laughs> How are you here and you're doing a Robocop outfit and you think we have him in WCW and then you don't even think about the practicality of shit, he needs to get into the ring. (laughs) You don't even think about the fucking practicality of how is he going to do anything? How can he move in the suit? Which is why they put the shark cage right at the entrance. Yeah, it's It's like No, and it's like, and like, Robocop, like, you, everyone, especially at this time, everyone knew how Robocop moved. Yes. Like, he wasn't going to be doing Hurricane Runners. Like, <laughs> come on, guys. Like, like, you, like you, have, you have an understanding of what you need to do. Mm. You have an understanding of what you need to do here, like what the bare minimum is. I'll be thankful. I'm glad he didn't have a gun because I want to know how that storyline would go down. <laughs> Fucking Robocop pulls a gun on Ric Flair or something. Oh, gosh. Now there is an alternate reality when that happened. Anyway, shall I get yes. off? Should, should we carry on? Because I always feel like we get derailed by Robocop. I mean, to be fair, for us three, that's incredibly accurate. That, yeah. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> so, you'll be pleased to know that it all came ahead at the 1990 Great American Bash, which saw an absolute classic match. Sting taking on Flair, and he won, and he won his very first NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. It is a great match. And also, I love the like the 
the red, white, and blue face paint mm. that Sting had on this one. I thought it was, it was, yeah. it was quite a nice touch, mate. Uh, I thought to that one. Um, so yeah, he's very first big gold belt, and that's made Sting a made man, and I'd say the most popular act in World Championship Wrestling at that time. Oh, almost definitely. So, he would feud during this time with Flair in title defenses and with Sid Vicious, and even had a weird angle. Oh, hello, Sid. <laughs> even had a weird angle at Halloween Havoc of the same year, which saw Sid beat Sting for the title, only to reveal that he was wrestling an imposter Sting. The real Sting came out, the match was restarted, and Sting retained the title. Oh my god. And may I add... And and now we come into the rich tradition of imposter Sting. Oh yeah. (laughs) And here we go, the first, and certainly not the freaking last, of imposter Sting. Not even in this episode. We're going to get to that. So, the most notable rivalry at this time was with the dark, the mysterious, and elusive Black Scorpion. Mm. Now, who was the Black Scorpion? They didn't know. We didn't know. But he first appeared under a hood in August and started antagonizing Sting with, I shit you not... Magic tricks. He once made a member of the audience disappear and turn into a tiger. He once used that swivel, that head swivel thing, the cardboard box on a fan. He once made wrestlers disappear. Like, like I shit you not, this is like he tried to scare Sting and antagonize him into a match with magic tricks. Wrestling. <laughs> Oh, and it gets better. It all came to a head. Could you, could you imagine you're there, you're wrestling a match, and then your opponent just disappears? <laughs> <laughs> How do you process that situation? <laughs> uh, it's I'm like, probably by asking the ref, does this mean I win? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, what? Are, I'm like, you just go over the ref, and you're like, uh, so is that like a count out, or... <laughs> Oh, it gets better, I tell you. All I'm saying is, right, theoretically, using actual magic to make your opponent disappear surely has to be a DQ. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, if that's the case, then The Undertaker shouldn't have ever wrestled, frankly. Well, The Undertaker had fucking lightning. Although, in all fairness, I don't know that he ever used it in the ring as as an attack. I, I think he did once... I think it might have been... Yeah, it might have been. During his like rivalry what? with Orton, maybe? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I swear he used it, but was that... Yeah. I know there was a time that he disappeared underneath the ring and then fucking came through and dragged Kane down. Yes. That was a, that was course, a segment. Everyone knows underneath the ring is the gates of hell. <laughs> it's both the gates of hell and also a portal to an area which is exactly the same as WWE headquarters, but only populated by... Um, uh, people with dwarfism. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Let's never forget the. Li- uh, actually, they, no. Let's they, forget they, the little people. They, people's they, court they exist. They exist simultaneously. <laughs> yes. Let let us let us forget the little people's court segment. 
Yes. Okay, yes. so it, it works through the basis of if you go through the canvas, you go to hell, and if you go underneath the apron, then you go to the other place. Dad, see, that is the difference. That's that is the difference. Wrestling lore. <laughs> the deepest lore. <laughs> so, this rivalry all came to a head at Starcade 90 in a cage match for the NWA title. If the Black Scorpion lost, he would unmask. And trust me, this wasn't the only downright silly thing that happened during this. Okay, so I want you to set. I want you to paint the image in your head. All right. Okay. First, the challenger, the black scorpion, enters. Yes. Okay. But it's not just one black scorpion. There's a second black scorpion, and a third black scorpion, and a fourth, and a fifth, okay. and a sixth, and a seventh black scorpion enter. Then. Okay. Before everyone's eyes in the arena, a giant spaceship descends from the heavens and lands on the entrance ramp and out pops the real Black Scorpion. You can tell he's real because he's wearing a gold cape. Okay, Sam, question. (laughs) Go on. Uh, How much smack have you been doing recently? None. Uh, do we have the stats on how much smack the people in WCW management were doing at that time? I can't say for certain, but between Ole Anderson and Jim Hurd, probably a mountain full. Okay. <laughs> Go on, good sir. Okay, so. <laughs> now, Sting won, of course, in comfortable set fashion. But then trying to unmask the Black Scorpion, Sting couldn't do it by himself. So several people from backstage ran into the cage and helped him unmask the Black Scorpion. And who was under the mask? Ric Flair. Huh. Ah. So, context. Right. Flair wasn't actually supposed to be the Black Scorpion. I wonder what would give you that impression. Okay, so Jim Hurd and Booker Ole Anderson at this time were absolutely determined to keep Flair off the main event scene of WCW. And they made the Black Scorpion out of thin air for that reason only. Okay, so as you've known the story, Jim Hurd and Ric Flair absolutely hated each other. Actually, it was Jim Hurd who proposed to Ric Flair to shave his hair, wear Roman garb, a diamond stud in his ear, and called himself Spartacus. Cursed. Indeed, it absolutely is. Uh, But there was going to actually be a few people that were going to be playing the Black Scorpion. Apparently, at one time, I believe it might have been the man who became the Yeti was going to be the Black Scorpion. Uh, Okay, well, that would have been absolutely awful. (laughs) Uh, There was going to be a a former member of Power Team USA that was going to be the Black Scorpion. Even at one time, they had Ole Anderson was considered to be the Black Scorpion. He even, and I shit you not, again, he was doing the voice that would end up becoming the Shockmaster for the Black Scorpion. Oh, my God. But considering they had lost all of those options, when the time came to unveil him, Hurd and Anderson panicked and they literally begged Ric Flair to be the man under the mask. Okay, but side question here, right? Mm. Could they not have just picked some random mid-carder? You'd think so, wouldn't you? Because, right, 
first things first. <clears throat> Jim Hurd and and Ric Flair obviously just hated each other. Mm-hmm. Second of all, even if this is all fucking ridiculous, which it is, mm. you could have just like. I mean, I say use it as a way to elevate some. I'm doing the fastest air quotes here. <laughs> but you could have just been like, oh, it was just some guy who wanted to give a push to, so he did this all this ridiculous stuff and then just basically blame it all on him. Mm. And just be like, oh, it was, uh, I don't know who was a mid-carder around then, but just this person. Ah. Uh, and there could have at least been some like jeopardy to it. You'd think so. And people but... might have been there and been like, oh my god, I didn't know who could have been this person. And now people are like, oh, well, now I've seen him do this stuff as the Black Scorpion. I might watch some other stuff he's done. Like, if you had, like, any semblance of, like, sense, but also I know WCW at the time had none of that. <laughs> but, like, just going through all that effort and being like, well, we want to keep Ric Flair away from the main event scene, and you've ran an entire program with this character, and you have to go, oh shit, it's Ric Flair. <laughs> You've literally just undone, what, like, six months of work? It was six months of work, yeah, from August to... August to December. Well done. Way to go, champ. You achieved nothing. (laughs) And what did this really achieve? Not much at all, actually, because uh, one of the... uh, One of the... um, Stipulations that Ric Flair said uh, he would only do the Black uh, Scorpion unveiling for was that uh, he would win the uh, he would have a run with the world championship which they accepted so on the on a january 11th uh 91 at wcw event flair would defeat sting in a rematch from uh starcade uh but he would also be recognized as the very first w or flair would be recognized as the very first wcw world heavyweight champion as not even a few days after that WCW was seceded from the National Wrestling Alliance. So, this means that there is a WCW World Heavyweight Championship, and now you need to make a WCW World Tag Team Championship. This, though, does have a bit of a silver lining, as Sting took part in probably one of the best matches of 1991, teaming with Lex Luger to face off against the Steiner Brothers at the very first Super Brawl to win the World Tag Team titles. Uh, so much so that that match was even uh, acknowledged by Joseph Monticilio in his 1991 <clears> retrospective, <throat> which I co-edited. So, you know, go cheeky plug there. Uh, Game was plug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a great match. Go Absolutely go and have it a is. watch at that. So, also, this means that they need to make a United States Heavyweight Championship. And in August 1991, Sting defeated a young and plucky upcoming wrestler called Steve Austin to win the tournament for the vacated United States Heavyweight Championship. Ah, old Steve stunning Austin. Steve Austin. Old stunning Steve Austin with his hair, question mark? Yes. Yes, with his hair. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kind of like... I know, it's so it's the <laughs> cursed image of seeing Steve Austin with hair, isn't it? <laughs> so weird. Getting going bold early was one of the greatest things to have ever happened to Steve Austin. Oh, without question, without question, he'd hold on this ti- uh, hold on to this title for eighty six days before losing it to Rick Rude at Clash of the Champions. So 
Starcade 91, I'm going to do some cliff notes here, because there's not really much to go on from 91 to 92 for Sting. Uh, he had uh, the very first Battle Bowl Battle Royale, to which he received the Battle Bowl Championship ring, and become, I believe it would become a number one contender for the world title. But this would make him become embroiled in a feud with the Dangerous Alliance, headed by manager Paul E. Dangerously. Yes, we all know him best as Paul Heyman. Oh, Heyman! <laughs> so the t- I can't uh, do the voice. <laughs> so the Alliance uh, targeted Sting specifically because if he was the, you know, uh, the proclaimed franchise of WCW, and they wanted to destroy Sting and WCW. Um, mm-hmm. At this time as well, he was being targeted by Luger, who had turned heel and was WCW champion. Still sting as a threat. Um, he had many matches here with Rick Rude. Uh, and eventually, it was during this whole time with the Dangerous Alliance and with Lex Luger that at Super Bowl 2 in February 92, Sting would capture the first of six WCW World Heavyweight Championships. So this feud with the Dangerous Alliance would end when Sting formed what he took coined the Sting Squadron, consisting of himself, Ricky Steamboat, Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, and Nikita Kolov to defeat the alliance of Rick Rude, Steve Austin, Arn Anderson, Larry Zabisco, and beautiful Bobby Eaton in a war games match at Wrestle War in 1992. Uh, a match mm-hmm. that was so well received that even old Davey Meltman rated it five stars. Wow. There we go. <laughs> So, How about that? As the Dangerous Alliance feud was de- uh, was simmering down, this gave way to one of Sting's most iconic feuds in WCW. He would defend the world title on April the 12th, 1992 in Atlanta, Georgia, against the newly debuting 450-pound Mastodon, Big Van Vader. So this was shortly after the Va- uh, Big Van Vader had two runs with the IWGP World Heavyweight yeah. Championship uh, and uh, destroying the long-reigning champion and founder of New Japan, Antonio Inoki, in the process. That and then getting, getting uh, New Japan, was it, for, banned but, from Sumo Hall for yep. like... Two years, eight, I believe. Two years? <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually during this match uh, um, with Vader versus Sting that Vader did a big splash off the top rope, um, oh cracking three of Sting's ribs and rupturing <laughs> his spleen. Oh my god! How, <laughs> how the hell he did? Sting managed to finish the match. Nah, mate. Nah, mate. I would normally say built different, but that's just built dangerous. <laughs> uh, he would eventually recover and would defend his title against Vader at the Great American Bash, dropping the title to Vader after missing a stinger splash, hitting his head on the ring post, and receding, uh, receiving a Vader bomb. So, in order to get back to the World Championship, Sting would end up having a match against Cactus Jack at Beach Blast. Oh, hell yeah. And would defeat WCW newcomer Jake Roberts in a coal miner's glove match at Halloween Havoc. Now, would you like to know what a coal miner's 
uh, coal miners. Oh glove yeah, this was the whole. Um... This no, basically this is a pole match. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was like you had the thing on the pole, and then it was like. Uh... I think it was only no. the person in the possession of the glove. Uh, yeah, could, it could punch them or something. I just, it was a, it was a convoluted rule set for that match. <laughs> but Sting would defeat Vader in a King of Cable tournament at Starcade. But this feud would continue way into 1993 with Vader, who was once again uh, WCW champion, defeated uh, defeated Sting in a strap match at Super Bowl Three. He would exact his revenge against Vader, beating him and winning the world title on a March 11th house show in London, but would lose it six days later back to Vader in a in a show in Dublin, Ireland. Huh. Sting would then team with WCW newcomer Davey Boy Smith, defeat the team of Vader and Vicious at Beach Blast, and yes... Oh yes, this does coincide with Flair for the Gold and the debuting Shockmaster. Oh my goodness, it all comes together. It comes back round again, my friend. <laughs> oh my, I mean, we've said enough. I feel like we've said enough about this segment, but you know what? Do we just want to relive it for a brief moment? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. This is arguably the greatest moment of accidental brilliance ever created by a wrestling company in, you know, in a weird way. You know what still makes me laugh is that when you told me and, and I coined on to the fact that Flair manifests from being Ric Flair to a 2D cardboard cutout yeah. during this whole thing. <laughs> It frankly just makes it because, like, I didn't notice it, so I didn't notice that first. And I remember looking at it. I went, "Why is Ric Flair standing so still?" <laughs> and I just looked at it again, and I was just like, "That's definitely not. That has to be a cardboard cutout because he just has exactly the same expression the entire time. I don't think anyone could possibly do that." <laughs> of course, there's the moments of he fell on his ass. He fell on his fucking ass. <laughs> to everything else about it but again i think the fundamental thing is just even if it went right i think it would still be remembered as awful exactly as bad as we remember it now because we look at it and go instead of being like oh he fell over and whatever it's all funny he's trying to deal with it to just what the fuck are we looking at a bedazzled stormtrooper in a fur rug. But here's what I mean. Like, what was the plan? <laughs> I just, I don't know. I really like, what, don't what know. was, what was the intention from the, <laughs> what was the intention to do with the guy wearing the fucking the? My man is looking like a proto Shrek with his fur fucking vest. And brown trousers and a bedazzled stormtrooper helmet. Like he wasn't going to be able to keep this. He wasn't going to be able to keep the stormtrooper helmet on while he's wrestling. There's nothing holding it down. (laughs) Oh my god, I love it. Proto Shrek. That's amazing. (laughs) Like that again. There's there's so many things about it. Obviously, everyone. I mean, like I said to you guys before, the fact that 
for for some reason of all the people in this segment, Sid is the most committed to keeping it going. Oh gosh, yeah. <sighs> Tried like, so hard. Like Sid straight up just like no sells it and just keeps going and I'm just like, why is Sid the one that's taking it seriously here? <laughs> And everyone always is just like, what is going on? Because as he's always said and gone on record for saying, he has half the brain that we do. (laughs) You know what, Sid's brain, he has half the brain, so he just isn't able to perceive what's happened. (laughs) Uh, So a cliff note... The the perception check for the Shockmaster falling over was like a 15 and he rolled a 12. Yes. Like, you don't see anything happening (laughs) and continue talking. Oh, man. Okay. So, with that chaos done, of course, that also means that Flair coming back to WCW after his uh, stint in the WWF in 1992. Uh, The end of 1993 would see Flair defeat Vader at Starcade for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Sting was there to congratulate Flair. And that's how we ended 1993, which brings us to 94 and 95. Uh, again, another, I will I will quickly note things off. So of course Hulk Hogan's here. He's becoming the big bad, you know, the best p- person here. Sting, who was considered the big face of the company, is now slowly but ever so surely not being the icon and the face of WCW anymore because of course Hogan. Um, so what does Sting do at this time? Well, glad you asked. The WCW International. World Heavyweight Championship is created, and guess, and you won't believe that the big gold was the actual title for this championship. Wow. Yes, so the WCW title, of course, as we all know, Flair uh, took that title with him to WWF, the big gold. Yeah. And so, kind of, because he paid for it, and that was his property, and he was well within his rights to take that with him to WWF. Um... They had WCW in a panic, made their own version of the World Championship. Of course, when Flair came back, they could use the big gold, but they had their own championship. So they decided, oh, screw it, we'll just make an international World Heavyweight Championship, and that way we can have New Japan people have hold the WCW title as well. That's fair. Uh, That's but true. not many people in New Japan held that, actually, because... Uh, this started the rivalry between Sting and Rick Rude, who on and off again would mm-hmm. hold the title quite uh, quite frequently. As a matter of fact, the only person to uh, from New Japan to hold that title was Hiroshi Hase in 1994. Oh, wow. And he only held it for eight days before dropping it back <laughs> to Rick Rude. <laughs> <laughs> Great work. Just unbelievable work rate. <laughs> the title would eventually be unified with the WCW Championship. Uh, being I wonder won by why. Flair. Uh, and of course, the big gold was back as the definitive WCW Championship. Why do you go to all that effort of including the clause of like, okay, well, it's international just in case any New Japan people win it, and then you should do it for one person for eight <laughs> days. So... That's just over-engineering to another it degree. It really is. It really, really <laughs> is. So, Great American Bash 95. Sting defeats Meng to win another tournament for the oh. United States Championship. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Re- rewind, what? 
Yes, King Haku. Yes, we know. Meng. He defeats Meng to win the US Championship. It's oh, quite sorry. a really good match, may I add. It's a really good of match. Of course, it's Me- it, it's Haku. Uh, uh, and then, of course, they would uh, have another rematch at Bash of the Beach 95. This all culminates, I should say, this all leads up, I should say, sorry, to the very first WCW Monday Nitro coming to you live from the Mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota. <sighs> the second match was Ric Flair versus Sting. Uh, uh, US champion, I should say, Sting. Of course, this ends in a bit of a dusty finish by DQ as a result of a run-in from Arn Anderson who atta- uh, to attack Flair. Uh, again, we're not even into like the second episode and we're getting into dusty finishes with Nitro. I know. <laughs> um, we're at this time as well where Hulk Hogan is uh, is going up against Kevin Sullivan and the Dungeon of Doom because, of course, you need to have stupid, silly, big hoss heels yeah. for Hogan to defeat. Uh, this would see uh, Hogan teaming with Sting, uh, with Hogan, Luger, and Randy Savage to defeat the Dungeon of Doom, who, if you really wanted to know, consisted of Kamala, uh, the Zodiac, who we all know as yes. the Brutus the Barber Beefcake, the Shark, who we also know as uh, Earthquake, and Meng mm-hmm. in a war yeah. games match. <laughs> so, Flink, Flair and Sting would end up teaming in October 95 to go up against Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman at Halloween Havoc. Uh, but of course, Sting, you can't trust Ric Flair. <laughs> Come on, dude. Again, it's just the thing of Sting being far, far, far too trusting. <laughs> and Flair would turn on Sting, and of course, as Flair always does when, when this happens, reforms the Four Horsemen with Anderson and Pillman and adding Chris Benoit to fill out the group. You know, it's a choice. <laughs> That's a choice. And I say that not even in just like modern context with the knowledge <laughs> we have now. Even at the time, I look at that and go, huh. <laughs> uh, so, we have... Uh, <laughs> Oh, yes, Brian Pillman, the perfect person for our group of horsemen. (laughs) So to wrap up 1995, we have Sting uh, losing the US title in November November when he was defeated by Kensuke Sasaki in Japan during a okay. new japan excursion uh, wcw <clears throat> new japan excursion this would come this would actually lead to a rematch in uh starcade a non-title match i should say rematch at starcade where sting would defeat sasaki in a non-title match to win the world cup of wrestling for wcw oh, oh yeah and in the same night Sting lost a triangle match involving Flair and Luger, where Flair won by countout to become the number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship, which Flair won from Savage in the very next match. I should say that Randy Savage at this time was WCW champion. <laughs> yes. No. Uh, remind me of the year, please. 1995. So this is when Hogan's being an in. Yeah. Gotta love it. Gotta love this. Gotta love it. I can feel it. I can feel the decline as it happens in real time. Ah, so here we are, gents. We get to the big chapter now. The New World Order and the birth of the Crow. So, 
It's very early into 1996. We see Sting's appearance quite change. We, we've known for the longest time very vibrant neon colours, the surfer gimmick, the blonde flat top. But Sting starts to grow his hair out. He's actually got his natural darker hair uh, coming out. He wore black tights with more kind of like the bold colouring being more assigned to the scorpion design on his tights. He would start having a little bit more kind of like a, I wouldn't say an attitude change, but certainly coming, getting more with the times. This is 1996, Gen X is starting to come in and, you know, really take a hold on everything. He would eventually team up with his old friend Lex Luger, who of course, a returning Lex Luger, I should say, after his time in the WWF. They would end up be, uh, beating Harlem Heat for the World Tag Team Championships on uh, a January episode the January 96 episode of Monday Nitro. Uh, the team often would re uh, retain the championship as a result of Luger's cheating, because at this time there's a weird dynamic of Sting being a face and Luger being a heel. Uh, and during this time, of course, Sting being the man who would trust anyone, even his own person who would probably end up murdering him and stabbing him in the back, Sting remained completely oblivious to Luger cheating during matches. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Of course, this caused this caused a bit uh, of uh, of uh, of a weird kind of dynamic between them. Uh, I believe there was uh, during this tag team title run. Yes, yeah, Sting received a world title shot against the Giant in on, at Slamboree in May, but lost after accidental interference from Luger. And eventually, Harlem Heat would retain the titles or win the titles back in June of the same year. The summer brings comes around, and. The Outsiders have debuted. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, the seemingly big invasion from the WWF, where it was it was heavily implied that they were that they were still employed by the WWF, but coming in to invade WCW. But of course, legal proceedings happened, and that yeah. didn't happen. And thus, of course, they were known as the Outsiders. They, their agendas, their alliances were unclear, but they were causing chaos at WCW events. But Sting was the very first person to stand up against them. And thus comes to Bash at the Beach 1996. Uh, National Hall had been teasing that there was a third member of their, of their group. And they were going to team with them at Bash at the Beach to take on Sting, Lex Luger and uh, Randy Savage to defend WCW's honour. Now, Nahal and Nash started the bout without their third partner, but this temporary two-on-three advantage was short-lived as Luger, still being a hill, left the match in a huff and puff after he was accidentally injured by a mistimed stinger splash. So the two-on-two -two match continued while Hogan entered the ring and emerged at ringside looking very scared, very apprehensive about what was about to happen. It looks like Hogan was about to back up WCW and defend their honour until he attacked Savage with a leg drop. One, two, three. The Outsiders have won and it's been revealed that the third man all along was Hulk Hogan. And they were about to start a new world order in professional wrestling. Little fun fact for you. Hogan was really apprehensive about doing this. So much so that there was a backup plan and Sting was going to be the third member of the Outsiders. I mean, considering that their entire colour scheme was black and white, I feel like Sting's an appropriate choice. Yeah. <laughs> Not that like Sting had quite... 
I mean, again, like Sting kind of coming closer to fully approaching, uh, embracing the whole crow thing. Yeah. But, um, I mean, because obviously the whole thing was that Hogan was worried about it because, like, he'd never been heel. Yeah. Well, for a very long time. I think it was his AWA days when he was managed by Freddie Blassie. That was the kind of only time he was heel. So he spent all that time just being, uh, you know, like just carrying on being face forever and then just going through his whole thing and being like, oh, okay, well, we're doing this big heel thing and we want you to be part of. So like, I get why he was scared of it, but then also obviously the NWO just went on and became its own thing. I don't really think it made much difference in the end. Indeed, indeed. So with all this coming to a head, the NWO is now formed... Sting and Luger, with not much, without much of a choice of what to do, go to the Four Horsemen and ask them to team with them, saying they need to put their differences aside for the good of the company. Flair and Anderson agree, and they compose Team WCW to go up against the NWO in war games at Full Brawl in September of 96. Now, here's the thing. NWO had a team of Hall Hogan and Nash, but a fourth member was yet to be determined. But in a backstage vignette, the NWO had a recording of Sting, Sting in air quotes, attacking Lex Luger after being lured into the parking lot. Seemingly, Sting had been aligned and aligned himself with the NWO. Hmm. This, this caused a lot of confusion with fans and, the, and of course, in storyline, is that Sting's alliances and allegiances have now been called into question. So, mm-hmm. full, full brawl happens. Sting is going to be a part of the NWO and WCW. So, the match goes on. All four members of the NWO are there, including Miss Sting. The last member of Team WCW comes out, and it's Sting. We find out that there actually was quite a convincing imposter played by Jeff Farmer, who, wearing the paint and the garb and the and the gear, you could probably say, yeah, I would have thought that was the actual sting for a moment there if I looked quickly. <clears throat> I just love how so much in WCW seems to always just loop back around to imposter sting. <laughs> it is quite it's so funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> so of course this is during the time why of all people lex luger was calling uh, was questioning his allegiances uh i don't know even if he was attacked uh sting cleaned house took out all four members turned to luger and said is that good enough for you right there is that proof enough uh sting then gave the finger to luger and walked out of the match leaving team wcw at a four and three disadvantage which they did not overcome nwo would end up winning that match so the next night on nitro sting came out unannounced with no theatrics no music entered the ring square in the middle of the ring turned back to hard cam to the other side of the audience and launched into an angry tirade about what had transpired leading up to full brawl. Now I do have the actual like promo here if you want me to quote it verbatim, but I mean I'm happy for you. I'm happy to do so if you chats would like me to quote it. You know what? Let's hear what he has to say. Okay. <laughs> I want a chance to explain something that happened last Monday night at Nitro. 
Last Monday night, I was on an airplane flying from LA to Atlanta. When I got to Atlanta, I tuned into the TV to Nitro, and I thought I was watching a rerun. It was a very convincing film. Often imitated, but never duplicated, though. And what else did I see? I saw people. I saw wrestlers. I saw commentators. I saw best friends. Doubt the stinger. That's right. Doubted the stinger. So I heard Lex Luger say, I know where he lives. I know where he works at. I'm going to go get him. So I said to myself, I'll just go into seclusion. I'll wait and see what happens on Saturday night. And I tuned in Saturday night, and what did I see? More of the same. More doubt. Which brings me to Full Brawl. I knew I had to get to Full Brawl and get face-to-face -face with the total package to let him know that it wasn't me. And I what, <laughs> what I got out of that was, no, Sting, I don't believe you, Sting. Well, all I gotta say is, I have, I have been mediator, I have been babysitter for Lex Luger, and I've given him the benefit of, doubt, of the doubt for a thousand times in the last 12 months. And I've carried the WCW banner, and I have given my blood, my sweat, and my tears for WCW. So for all those fans out there, and all those wrestlers, and people that never doubted the stang stinger, I'll stand by you if you stand by me. But for all the people, the commentators, all of the wrestlers, all of the best friends who did doubt me, you can stick it. And from now on, I consider myself a free agent. Stinger drops the mic and leaves the ring. Quite pissed off, may I add. But making yep. his intentions incredibly clear, he was no longer, a, he was not a part of the NWO, but he sure as hell was no longer part of WCW. He was a lone wolf. <laughs> Good God. How very disgustingly 90s. <laughs> so, to kind of keep him off TV for a little bit of the time, Sting would end up having a little excursion to New Japan. Uh, he having a really good match against Masahiro Chono in that, uh, in, in that little time. Oh, hell yeah. Before... He wanted to bring a brand new spin to his character. Something to kind of be a lot more contemporary than usual. It was from actually having a discussion with Scott Hall, who's a giant cinephile that we've come to know. Whenever I hear this story, I just hear it and just go, I don't even know how to conceptualize this. <laughs> Sting <laughs> became a, well, I would say more directly inspired by Brandon Lee's The Crow. Directly inspired is one way of saying it. That's one way. I mean, his portrayal of Evic Draven was really good. So, I so Scott Hall said to him, "I tell you what, I've seen this film. It's really good. It's called The Crow. You should watch it. I'd say you'd be really good if you take elements from that." It still blows my mind that Scott Scott Hall is a giant cinephile, but then when you realise that Razor Ramon is just basically one for one Tony Montana, it makes so yeah. much sense. Yeah. No, because the thing is, right, is that, like, obviously, yes, Razor Ramon is just straight up Tony, it's just straight up Tony Montana. But also the thing, it's the fact of Scott Hall watching The Crow and <laughs> yeah. being like, bro, you need to watch this. <laughs> and then the second thing of Sting seeing that and going, that's me. <laughs> there's a lot of steps to it, isn't there? Yeah, there, there, there's. A, I feel like there's a lot to break down out of this because <laughs> it's just the thing. 
Sting being there like, well, I need to make my character, you know, bring my character contemporary. And I'll be honest, for the time, The Crow is about as contemporary as you could get. Yes. But that also, like, he just saw that and went, that's going to last. <laughs> it, it's gen- it's genuinely incredible to and kind that- of think about that passage of events that led to that point. <laughs> Yeah, and that it worked as well. Yeah. Oh gosh, it is more than anything. It has stood the test of time. That's the craziest thing. <laughs> so, with this, on October twenty first, nineteen ninety six, on Monday Nitro, Sting finally returned since that time at Full Brawl. In a mat, uh, during a match, he interfered against the Imposter Sting, wrestling Jerry Lynn who was under that Mr. JL gimmick that he had, but enough about yeah. that. Enough said about that, the better. But Sting, entrenched, wearing a big old trench coat, white face paint with black marks around his eyes, went into the ring and tacked and attacked Imposter Sting. This is where he debuted his brand new finisher, the Scorpion Death Drop, the inverted DDT, which I still think is a really cool name for a finisher, the Scorpion Death oh, Drop. That's, oh, yeah, that's- yeah. Boss ass question. <laughs> so during the subsequent weeks during this time, Sting would occasionally just well would be watching the NWO from the rafters, not saying a word, not uttering a single syllable, and occasionally tacking members of the NWO. He would adopt the black baseball bat as a weapon. Just and this it was the original incarnation of Sting was still the very kind of iconic kind of des- like shape of the face paint, kind of like the half face paint, not covering his uh, mouth. But soon enough, he would go for the full white face paint and the black markings. He would adopt that like more and more as the time went on. Funnily enough, 15 months passed by before Sting uttered a word or even wrestled a match during this time. Wow. So, and he, from this, he became the most over babyface in WCW by not mm-hmm. uttering a single word. Uh, what I loved about this as well during this time of Sting is that he would do, like, loyalty tests for people and members of the WCW roster where would Sting would, you know, confront them, uh, beating up members of the NWO, take out his baseball bat, give it to the wrestler in question and turn his back and if he didn't get hit he knew that they were loyal if he did he knew that they weren't loyal to wcw i just again i feel like this is a recurring thing with sting just being far too trusting of people yes yeah. like my guy learn some personal boundaries <laughs> protect your own peace <laughs> So eventually this all comes to a head when Sting, when James J. Dillon, or J.J. Dillon, the then on-screen commissioner for WCW, tried many times to get Sting back to return to wrestling. He didn't accept any offers, but he just wanted one wish. Hogan at Starcade. And so we get to Starcade 1997, Hulk Hogan versus Sting for the WCW World Championship. With an appearance from the newly debuted Bret the Hitman Hart. So, 
Oh. Hulk Hogan's biggest friend in the world. So <laughs> it's not been confirmed. It's not been confirmed whether this is true or whether it's just a rumour. So we'll take it with a grain of salt. Now everyone knows this match, really iconic entrance from Sting. Just probably one of the most iconic WCW entrances of all time. But everyone, of course, knows this match for the screwy finish where it was supposed yeah. to be a fast count but Nick Patrick counted a normal count. Now, as I said, it's not been confirmed nor denied, or if it's just been a rumour, or if it's true, that Hogan paid off Nick Patrick to do a slow count rather than the fast count. Which, if so, that's a bit of a dick move from Hogan. A bit more than a dick move. But we'll never know. Of course, this causes... It's strange... This causes Bret Hart to scream, we're well, not having another screw job, you restart the match. Acting as if it was a fast count rather than a normal count, which made Bret look even more of a bit of a knob uh, in that case. I mean, again, it's that thing of just like... Hogan... Ooh, Hogan... <laughs> Hogan, man. What if Hogan yeah. politicking, man. Uh, of, course, this, of course, the match was restarted and Sting would win the WCW Championship to the rapturous applause of everyone there and, of course, the WCW locker room lifting up, lifting him aloft. Uh, it was actually the next day that they decided to have a rematch because of that debacle with the Count, which would see them yeah. flip-flop the title here, there, and everywhere. And so uh. it would end up... Oh, believe this or not, Thunder. Dylan vacated the title, forcing Sting to surrender the belt... And Sting, for the first time, would speak the first time since October 96, saying, you've got no guts. And Sting turned to Hogan and said, you, you're a dead man. So was that that in promo or was that for shoot? (laughs) I would probably say that was probably for shoot in that case. I am going to to kill you with a baseball bat. Sting literally... Sting literally threatens to kill a man on national TV. <laughs> See, the only thing, the only reason we know, it's like the only problem is that he doesn't cause just straight up call Hogan Terry. But yeah. it yes. was Kate. To be fair, this was the, the 90s. Point, yeah, I at the time. Not put that out of the realm of possibility. Exactly. exactly. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember who it, who it was. I think it was in one of the W. It was in one of the WWE fig where someone was there and was like, um, "You've messed up this time, Paul." When they were talking to Triple H, yeah. And I'm like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if that was actually there was some legit mustard behind that. Um, but as I said, it's not being. It's I don't know if it's true or a rumor whether it's Hogan paid off Nick Patrick. We'll st- yeah. just say it is a rumour at <laughs> this, time, this time. So, fortunately, though, in 1998, he would recapture the World Championship in February at Super Bowl. Um, and this, of course, is during the time where the NWO looks like it's about to splinter. Of course, they would splinter. Uh, and the would form yeah, two, into one four. of into one of the uh, nine versions of the NWO at some yes. point. 
though again, as ever, I will say there is one thing that the NWO Wolfpack had going for them is that their entrance theme was honestly far too good for what it should have been. And as I said, it still blows my mind that Jimmy Hart wrote that and produced that song. I don't like it. I don't like it either. <laughs> so, as I said this time, they would splinter to form NWO Wolfpack and NWO Hollywood. During this time, Sting would have successful title defenses with against Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Diamond Dallas Page. But, of course, it all came to a head <laughs> when uh, Nash and Savage formed the Wolfpack and both factions, including Hollywood, I should say, vied for Sting's allegiance. You think after all this time, with Sting fighting against NWO, why they would want to <coughs> align himself. But, you know, it ended up seeming like, uh, <laughs> like with all this being said, Sting would end up joining Hollywood, but then swerved to join the Wolfpack. And I will say this. I don't mind the red face painted Sting. I thought it was kind of a cool look with the. With the we're going to get to debatably far worse versions later. Yeah, yeah we're going to be oh, talking about it. Oh, in the second part. Oh, hell yeah, we're going to get to the in, in the Because se- in the second part, we get to talk about the absolute, I don't even know, cursed monstrosity that it was the latter part of Sting in TNA, <laughs> in which case we're going to get to we're gonna get to some stuff because I've got some stuff I need to talk about. Okay, I'm very excited. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's one that for Reardon you might remember or we might have mentioned before, but you might not know about. And yes. that will be brilliant when you come across it. Oh, and I will, tell you, I will tell you about it after this episode. We, after we're done recording. Awesome. Uh, awesome. So... Not much of really of note was happening here. Of course, you know, the NWO, Hollywood and Wolfpack had their thing. And of course, that all ended with the finger poke of doom. If you don't really want to get into that, yeah. skip this part. We're going to go straight to 99. And we're going to go to back to Sting sporting the black and white. Uh, and eventually having a four corners match for the world championship, which pitted him against Hogan, DDP and Flair. But this, of course denoted that DDP won his first of three WCW championships. And I don't care what anyone says, right? I know that DDP was Bischoff's best mate, and I know he was in his mid to late 30s at this time, but DDP was over the crowd and definitely deserved a run with the title. Oh, yeah. Listen, listen, listen. DDP, despite, like, being Bischoff's mate and being in his, being in his, was it late fight? Yeah, late thirties it would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been in his late thirties. Was legitimately incredible. <laughs> he was in his late thirties and was in better shape than most people on that roster that were in their twenties. Yeah, yeah, yes. And, and also, yes, he was Bischoff's best mate. But to be fair, and from what I've heard from people talking about DDP, he never was really one for messing about. Mm. Like, yeah, like there isn't like. Like I, I've never. Like, yeah, I, I like, yeah, like, yeah. He towed the line, but yeah. you know, you're you're in a company. You, you kind of do what you do to protect your job. Yeah, like but I've he, never he, heard. Like, any... As far as I know, I've never heard about him doing any major politicking or anything. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard like a bad DDP story. Like Same. he's just, he's just, he's literally just DDP. Exactly. Exactly. 
<laughs> so, we get to go to the final parts of Sting in WCW. He would defeat Page on the April 26th edition of Nitro in 1999 to win it for a fifth time. But, here's the thing, right? Sting defended that title later that night and would, uh, and would lose the title after DDP pinned Nash in a four-way match. This, would you believe, was the second shortest title reign in WCW history at 90 minutes. Wow. Uh, yeah, we are... I mean, as we saw with Road Wild, WCW <laughs> is really in dire straits at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he would have a rivalry with Rick Steiner in a, uh, in, at the Great American Bash, a really great match there, uh, and would end up having feuds with Goldberg, Rick, Sid Vicious, Savage, uh, have a tag match. Uh, with uh, Nash at Bachelor of the Beach against Team Madness, the team of Sid and Randy Savage. All of this culminates in 2000. Uh, one of his very last um, notable uh, storylines would be against Vampiro, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. They had quite a quite yeah. a, a tense rivalry in 2000. Uh, one of those notable ones was a Human Torch match at the Great American Bash, which I think is a match, but... Probably. Probably. Uh, But then would go off to feud with Jeff Jarrett and then Scott Steiner. Uh, He would actually, unfortunately, Steiner would injure Sting in November of 2000, but would stay off of uh, WCW programming until the very final episode of Monday Night Nitro on March 26th, 2001. Now, as we all know, at this time, WCW was in dire straits at the bottom of the barrel TNT and Turner were not willing to have them on TV anymore and give them funding so they were looking and scrambling to find a way to find a new investor or a new company to purchase them there was a company called Fusion Entertainment that was headed by Eric Bischoff who even for a short time proclaimed that they were the owners of WCW the new owners with Bischoff being president money didn't come through or there was something with investors that dropped out so that didn't happen and so in march 2001 i remember the headline very clearly on the on the wwf.com website yep wwf purchases wcw and of course we all know the whole vince mcmahon going the very fate of wcw is now in my hands of course, oh, the main event of this one saw Sting pitted against his longtime rival, Ric Flair, in almost a very poetic way. Both of them mm-hmm. kind of opened Nitro, and both of them would close out Nitro. Yeah. And so, we reach the end of part one of, the, uh, of our Sting retrospective. Where would Sting go at this time? Time Warner would not bring out, buy out, or sorry, uh, WWF would not buy out Sting's Time Warner contract. So he was in a bit of a lull period. 2001 came and went, the invasion story came and went. But he would eventually pop up around 2002. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that soon enough. (laughs) So, chaps, what do you think, then, as we stop here on this uh, part of the episode? Ah, Sting. He's been he went through so fucking much <laughs> like like just to let you know listener we have this is a very abridged version we could easily do like three to four 
Oh, oh yeah. yeah. On, on Sting. We This is a bridge version. But as you can tell, um, man was a huge part of WCW. Yeah. And... I think it's Tony it's Schiavone... To Tony Schiavone and Scott Hudson said at the end of that final Nitro, he bled and breathed WCW when so many people... Oh, absolutely. So many people did the fashionable thing of jumping to the WWF. He said, including Ric Flair, Sting remained loyal. I feel like there's a reason why he was called the franchise and the icon. Oh, yeah. It's because he was so synonymous with the name WCW. So synonymous. But I look forward to to next week's episode, which, as, as we said part two of the sting retrospective 2002 to today present day because the man that the mad lad is still going to this day somehow i have no idea how, but but we, will, we will get to why that is should be impossible very soon yes oh absolutely so <clears throat> until next week when we catch up on the next part i have been sam this has been dan and Raven, and you have been listening to the Sweet Chinwag podcast. We will see you as ever on the next one. Bye, everybody! Bye!